I've asked uh, Sarah to come and share with us for a few minutes this morning. Sarah's been a part of our church for quite a few years. I don't know how long. Mm, maybe eight to ten. Eight to ten. Yeah. Sounds like a prison sentence. <laughs> eight to ten. <laughs> well, she's being released. Um, God's called uh, Sarah to Honduras, and so I just asked her to, um, to give a little bit of her story. And, um, and then we want to pray for her and bless her on her way out. So thanks, Sarah. Good morning. Um, I've been just praying more recently, like the last couple of years, for God to just open up the door for an opportunity, like an overseas opportunity, and just had that in my heart for years, but been praying more intensely over the last couple of years, and, you know, just, um, it was in, like, the last six months over spring break, and I was just asking the Lord, you know, what's your plan, and just kind of feeling kind of more at a frustration of, you know, I'm not sure what it's supposed to be, and just felt like I kept seeking, and at the end of that time, or during, you know, around March, I just felt like the Lord gave me three phrases, like new life, orphanage, and Honduras, and then, um, so I went ahead and Googled those phrases, and the first thing that popped up was New Life Children's Home, which was an orphanage that reaches out to orphans um, from the street and, like, abandoned and abused orphans. And they teach them. Th- at that point, all I knew was that they had a school for them, and I was a, I'm a teacher, so I, and I'd gotten my English certificate, so I thought, this is a perfect fit. So I went ahead and, and contacted them. It took me a while to hear back from them, and that was kind of another story. But when I finally heard back from them, there was just a really neat heart connection for me with the lady, and that was prayed for me, too. So... Um, that was just really neat. And then she said, you know, we've been interceding for the Lord for him to just send us his handpicked ones. Like at the same time, they were short-staffed and the Lord had put me on their heart. And um, so that was, or, you know, I've been asking for more help. So that was really neat. And, he, you know, she was, I was kind of scared, like, would she really think that this was, you know, what would she think about this story about the words and, you know, different things. But she said, no, we believe in supernatural encounters and we're spirit-filled and um, we pray for our kids to be, you know, filled with the spirit and stuff too. So, and then it was just really cool because, um, not only do they teach, they have the school, they teach English, but they also do a lot of other ministries close to my heart, like door-to-door evangelism, and they pray for the sick, and um, they do, like, ministry to a garbage dump. So just a lot of different puzzle pieces coming together um, into one ministry. So it was super exciting and encouraging. So that's kind of the main point. So I leave for a couple months to kind of help them finish out the school year, and then I'll be back for the holidays and then back there more permanently, like their school year is February through November. So... Yeah, that's the main point. If uh, any elders or staff members, uh, if you guys want to come up, and we'll just, uh, why don't you guys stand and uh, just extend your hands as a sign of your blessing to Sarah. We send Sarah uh, as a part of us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your calling upon Sarah. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you spoke to her. We thank you for the promise. Your sheep hear your voice. They listen to you and they obey. And so we just bless Sarah's obedience. We bless, Lord, even the use of Google to give her uh, direction. We thank you, Lord, that you can use anything to call and empower your children. So, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, send her from us as a part of us. We impart to her as, a, as her family, as this body, everything, Lord, that you've given to us, your presence, this heart for worship, the love and the power of God. We ask, Lord, that you bless her to, uh, to bear the presence of God into those places in Honduras. Lord, provide for her and love her well through us and others and show the world your love through her. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> We're going to... Um, uh, Mary Lou Beeson, one of our elders who is over missions, is uh, put together a reception for Sarah. So right after this service... 
um, there'll be a reception in the community room. If you want to hear more about what Sarah's doing, you want to help in her mission or be a part of her prayer team, that would be great. Um, um, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, Robbie Dawkins. Robbie, you want to come up? I won't, uh, I won't take any of Robbie's time because uh, I've given him full freedom. So uh, I don't know when the football games are today. Don't worry about it. Um, uh, we have communion up here, but I'm not sure if we'll get to it. So if at the point when you feel like it's time to commune with God, you're welcome to take communion. I, I mean it. So uh, Robbie's uh, a guy that I've known for, oh, days. Yeah, I mean, we've been friends for days. And uh, Robbie spoke with our youth at the youth retreat. We just had an awesome time. And here's what I know about Robbie, for sure, for sure, for sure. He loves Jesus with all his heart. And he has a passion to express the love and the power of Jesus to the world, basically everywhere he goes. And so if you've seen the movie Father of Lights, we showed here earlier in the year. Robbie was in that, and he hangs out with gang people and Jesus. They all hang together. And so let me just pray for you, and you bless us with the word. Thank you, Lord, for your presence within, Robbie, for your good work that you have done and you are still completing. I just ask that you fill him again with the Holy Spirit. Let the kingdom of God come down upon him. Righteousness, peace, and joy in that Holy Spirit. Lord, speak through him to us. And I ask that we would have open and receptive hearts. Courageous spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate uh, the invitation to come here. Uh, we had a great time with uh, the young people yesterday. Um, and had a great uh, night's sleep, um, all three and a half hours of it. Thank God for caffeine. I asked them if they had an IV that I could just hook up and carry around with me, but they don't do that at Starbucks. So unfortunately, I just had to do it with a cup. Really quick, let me point out, uh, we've got some resources for you back at, 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 behind here at the table. Um, Randy mentioned... Um, Father of Lights, we've got that. Also, Furious Love uh, back there, and that's where we went to uh, witchcraft festivals and psychic New Age fairs and stuff like that. And those are really fun to go to to do ministry. We're actually um, we're, we're not supposed to be talking about what we're doing in the next movie, but it'll be a bit of that again uh, in another part of the world outside of the U.S., and so I'm really excited about that and uh, leave first part of next month for that portion and um, uh, so anyway so that's that's going to be cool but really quick let me point out um, I want to tell you something about Father of Lights kind of an update uh, but let me tell you about a couple of resources we've got back there uh, my wife will be here any minute now and uh, she uh, she'll be probably slipping in the back or, or slipping in the baby room or something like that um, you want me to tickle myself what does that mean my mic is not on Really? It sounds like it's booming to me. Really? It says... Shows like it's on. Yeah, it was on. So anyway, um, but we have a, t a table back there called a power tool table. And that's because I'm a guy, and we can't just call it like a table, tool table. You've got to call it power tools, you know, to make it sort of a guy thing. Um, and I did a conference with Randy Clark in November called Empowered to Heal. 
Um, and this uh, was, we did seven sessions, and so there's seven DVDs here. If, if you don't know who Randy Clark is, he was kind of the spark plug guy for the Toronto Blessing and what's happened there, and has been that actually all over the world. The uh, Lord's really used Randy in incredible ways. One of the things I really appreciate about Randy Clark is all of the stuff that he teaches on healing is still the old classic Vineyard 101, 201 uh, healing school stuff. None of it's really changed. He's tweaked a couple of little things in there, but uh, it's really, really classic. I mean, he's stuck true to that more than I, honestly, than any vineyard pastors that I know. And so um, it, it, it's it's really good. And then you know, my part just added the umph and bam to it that Randy didn't bring. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we have these for you back there if you would be interested in that. I also did an eight-part series. This is a CD. This isn't DVDs called The Kingdom of God. Vineyard Resources had asked me to do a thing on the practical application of, of you know, kind of a, a series of kingdom teaching, not just in theory but also in a life of practice. And so we did that. Uh, it was supposed to be a six-part series, but I'm such a blabbermouth that it turned into an eight-part series. <laughs> So it's about uh, about seven and a half hours of teaching on the kingdom of God. And um, also, I've, uh, we have a book that will be back there afterwards called Healing Ministry. If you do not have that book and you're interested in healing, you need to get it. Um, because Healing Ministry is written by a, a guy by the name of Jack Moraine, who pastors the Gilbert Vineyard in Phoenix, uh, Arizona. And it is just a really good book on healing. And uh, it's real condensed but gets really to the point i got bethel to start carrying it and randy clark to start carrying it because it's just that good of a book and so anyway and then also dan smith is also a vineyard pastor out in california and he wrote a book called the wind and the rudder this is a really good book and it's just it's it it's really good the only part that i don't like in here is it says how do we live in the power of the spirit without becoming weird i think that's a lie because I think if you live in the power of the Spirit, somebody's going to think you're weird. That's just all there is to it. So, you know, nice try, Dan. But uh, most of the people he talks about in this book, I would say are weird. I've got to be honest with you. So um, anyway, but, it, but it's a very, very, very good book. And, of course, the wind and the rudder is the Spirit of God. And that, well, that's the point that he makes sort of, you know, in the boat analogy. And then, again, we've got Father of Lights. How many of you saw Father of Lights? Cool. Uh, so we have copies of that. We also have the deluxe versions. With the the the, 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 the deluxe versions have stuff that didn't make the movie, and so there's a whole section on the vineyards in Siberia, and there's a testimony of a woman that was raised from the dead that is worth seeing just all by itself. But also, I led this guy who was the communist leader over all of Siberia to Christ in a pub one night just when we were there. A friend of mine. Uh, Chris Simmons, who pastors a vineyard in Brighton, England, he looks at me and he goes, do you know who that guy is? And I was like, no. And he's like, he's the communist leader, a former communist leader over all of Siberia. And he goes, you want to meet him? I said, yeah. And he introduces him to me and he says, uh, the guy's name is Victor. He goes, he goes, Victor, this is Robbie. Robbie is Victor. He goes, Victor, Robbie's like this prophet guy from Chicago. He's about to tell you stuff about your life nobody else knows. And he goes, have a go at him, Robbie. And he walks away. <laughs> Just threw me right under the bus and I told him three things that the Lord showed me uh, and it just it turns out they were very specific very detailed when I'm saying them they didn't sound specific they didn't sound detailed but it just totally filleted Victor right there and 
he ended up giving his life to Christ right there in this pub. And so it's a really cool uh, story. Let me give these to Jacob. Let me take this is my assistant, Jacob, who's helping me here. Um, but let me tell you a follow-up from Father of Lights. Is we were, you know, and, and the thing that's really, really cool is we had worked really hard for some time to set up that meeting with the gang leaders. And what you have to understand is the Latin Kings is like the largest gang throughout uh, the Chicago area, outside of the Mafia. Mafia would be the largest gang, honestly. But uh, outside of the Mafia, the Latin Kings is the largest gang. It's really one of the largest in the United States with chapters in New York City and also in L.A. If you've ever watched the television uh, show Gangland, um, they've done three episodes just on my city, just on Aurora. Not, not even talking about Chicago, but just on Aurora. They've done three different episodes on Aurora itself. And when we first moved to Aurora, Aurora was just riddled with gang activity. I mean, they really ruled the city. And uh, there was blood running in the streets like literally every day. Um, there was uh, constant drive-by shootings, things like that. We had people who told us, they said, if you plant a church in Aurora, they said, we'll come with you if you plant outside of Aurora, but if you plant inside of Aurora, we won't come. And so when we came, when we went there, we literally had four of us, and two of the four was me and my wife, you know. Uh, we, had, we had originally had 12, but they all bailed once they found out we were going to Aurora. And so it was, it was really tough. And I mean, we started with absolutely nothing. And, um, but the name Vineyard, that's it. And so uh, we, we went there, and, and uh, I, I remember they were, they were, we were having, you know, like I said, drive-by shootings all the time, and the gangs were literally running the city. Well, we had started praying and asking the Lord for a strategy of how he wanted us to plant the church. And I had read the book Power Evangelism by John Wimber, and I felt like, personally, that the vineyard had never really tried power evangelism. I felt like it was that we had to some degree, but I felt like we'd never really fully implemented that as a strategy for church planting. And if you, if you ever study Wimber's uh, you know, concepts and ideas on church planting, it was all had to do with power evangelism. And so I thought, we've never really put that to the test. We've sort of planted churches out of conferences. And we didn't really plant from the perspective of using power evangelism. And so I, I was determined that we were going to do that, that that's how we were going to plant our church. If you look at all of the MC510 stuff that Wimber did at Fuller Theological Seminary, all of it was based on power evangelism and stepping out and moving in power ministry. And so we started, we started looking at that, and we started hitting the streets, and we just started praying for people. We just walk around town, and this was, this was our approach. This is what you call it. We would step up and just say, hey, we're looking for people to pray for. What can we pray for you about? You know, do you have any financial needs? Do you have any physical needs? If you need to be healed, Jesus will heal you right now. And I know that sounds, you know, pretty out there to say, but how do we spell faith in the vineyard? So if you're not going to take any risk, then you're not applying any faith. And so we were, that, that was us taking risks. Was like, we'd be like, Jesus will heal you right now if you'll let us pray for you. We were like, we could pray for, if you have financial needs, you need a job, you need things to, you know, in your life, you have relational needs, we will pray for literally anything. We started going all over the city, we started going to bars, we were going to gay bars, we were going to different clubs and just ministering to people, and just, the, our prayer was always, Father, just lavish them with your love. And then we would, if they had any physical needs, we would speak to the body, we'd command the body to be healed so that they would know that Jesus Christ loved them and was pursuing them and wanted a relationship with them. And as we began to do this, all of a sudden, 
we, we, we begin to see things start to happen. Well, what, what that did is not just individually with people, but we started seeing this sh- the city shift. That was a tricky phrase. <laughs> did you see how I navigated? Now see, now, see, if that was in my church, nobody would have thought anything about that. They would have been like, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> there would have been no laughter whatsoever. Like, yeah, so... We've literally had to put signs in our cafe that says no F-bomb dropping in the cafe. Literally. Isn't that horrible? That's true. But it is true. So anyway, we were, uh, we were just started hitting the streets and just started ministering to people and just seeing things happen. And what happened is crime started plummeting in our city. And uh, what that means, though, for, for, you know, for, I mean, literally neighboring Naperville... Uh, the city next door to us, they have, uh, you know, more, uh, or they're, they're smaller population, but they're more, uh, you know, upper middle class and, you know, quite, quite the antithesis of our, of our city. And all of a sudden, our crime began to get lower than Naperville's crime rate. And it started dropping that much. That had never happened in all of history. And so, uh, peop, you know, people started, you know, the chief of police invited me to come and to start meeting with him once a month. The, the mayor of the city invited me to come and to start praying for him and prophesying to him once a month. And they just, things started happening. We prayed for the mayor in front of the whole city council. His leg grew out. His back got healed. All sorts of things happened. This is, this, throughout the city, you know, they, they knew. You could literally pull into Aurora, and you could just probably pull up to a gas station and just say, hey, can I pray for you? And more than likely, they'll look at you and go, you must be from the vineyard. Because we just saturated that city, you know, with, with ministry and just do it, hitting it again again. My sons, I've got six boys ranging from age 20 to down to age three. Uh, my three-year-old may be even here now somewhere. Uh, but uh, they, 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 they love power evangelism. My two oldest boys have been beaten by gang members. They've been knocked out, drug out to the middle of the road to be killed, left unconscious. And yet, today, they would do it again just like that because they're, they, love, they love watching God show up and just rock people's world. Now, they wouldn't be as excited about praying for you, but they love praying for the lost. They love going out and praying for the lost. Now, the problem is, is see, it's easier to pray for unbelievers than for believers. With unbelievers, healing comes faster. With believers, it's a little bit slower. And so it's a little bit laziness on my family side. Because they're like, let's go for the low-hanging fruit. Seriously, it's true. I mean, if all, seriously, if all you ever do is pray for Christians to be healed, which the majority of us as a church do, you're going to see, you're, first of all, you're going you're, you're to get depressed if all you ever do is pray for Christians. Secondly is you're going to see healing ebb. We have to realize that the, Jesus used the power to draw people to relationship with him. You and I should already be in relationship with him. And so using the power and the presence to draw people into relationship, that was Jesus' form of evangelism. Anyway, I'm getting away from the story. So what happened is, is that we just started saturating the city, and, um, and so the gangs began to get really angry. And so they were threatening to start a war with the, with the, 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 with the police department, and they were threatening to start a war with rival gangs, and they were threatening that 2012 would be the bloodiest year in all of Aurora's history. Because they were losing respect in the city. And in gang lingo, respect means fear. If you fear me, that means you respect me. And that's how they see it. 
And so that's, that's what it meant for them. And so they were losing respect because nobody was fearing them anymore because their, their, their influence was just dropping like crazy. And so what ended up happening is uh, we had that meeting. We brought these guys in, and these were the top leaders, not just in Aurora, but in the Chicago area. And uh, Sam, the guy with the glasses, if you saw the movie, he was the, the, the big guy, you know, in it. And you just, of course, if you see the movie, you see Sam's transformation. I mean, watching him from the time he was in our church to when he was in the park, it's just like daylight and dark. And, and we would see, and, but anyway, all of them, in, they, they, we, they all get healed. They all give their lives to Christ. But they walk into the church, and they're pointing out all the bullet holes in our building. And they're, they're pointing out all the places where they had shot up the building at different times. And they're like, we dropped the guy right on the front lawn of your church way back in this year, this time. Dropped the guy means they did a drive-by shooting and killed somebody on the front lawn of the church. And so they were pointing out all this stuff. And that was all an intimidation tactic. What they were saying is, if you do it, if you do anything we don't like here, we'll do it again. And that was them threatening us. And so I just asked them, I said, why do you think we've invited you here? And they said, because you want to stop a war that's about to start. And I said, no, that's not why we've invited you here. I said, we've invited you here to introduce you to Jesus. And they grabbed their crucifixes on their necks, and they're like, we know who Jesus is. And I said, not the way you're about to meet him. You're about to meet Jesus in a way you've never met him before. And one by one, we prayed for them. Every one of them was healed. They all had physical conditions they were completely healed of. And also, Sam kept jumping up and grabbing his chair and looking under his chair. And he kept saying, my chair's wired. And I said, why do you say it's wired? He says, because there's electricity surging through my body as you're praying for me. And he thought we had literally had electricity running through the metal of the chair. And so I told him, I said, dude, there's no wires. And he goes, well, there's a battery pack or something here because I'm feeling electricity go through my body. And I just leaned into his ear, and they didn't, weren't able to catch this for the film, but I leaned into his ear, and I just said, Sam, that's Jesus saying, how do you do? <laughs> he's introducing himself to you, and he's inviting him, you to a relationship with him. Well, of course, at the, end of, at the end of that portion of the movie, you see all of them give their lives to Christ, and they're all plugged into the church. They're all a part of my church now. And, you know, just to see, as, as you see Todd give a prophetic word, my buddy Todd White give a prophetic word uh, to Sam about his daughters. Both of his daughters, we have since, have led to Christ. Uh, his daughter that was in the prison, she, when, as soon as she got out, two days later, she was shot in a drive-by shooting through the leg. And my two oldest boys went and prayed for her, and her leg was completely healed. I mean, the wound closed up. She never had stitches, nothing. She was completely healed. And she was, she was on crutches that they had gotten from a... She didn't want to go, she didn't want to, go to the hospital because she didn't want it to get registered and reported to the police. And so, but they prayed for her. The wound completely closed up, and she walked out of the church completely healed. And so she gave her life to Christ. The, uh, Sam's other daughter gave her life to Christ. And so it's just an amazing thing. Now, what happened is that because of that, because of what took place... In 2012, Aurora is the second largest city in Illinois. It's a quarter of a million population. In 2012, we did not have one homicide for the entire year. Now listen to me. That has not happened in 66 years. It has been 66 years since that happened. That made the front page of the Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post, the New York Times. It was on CNN. It was on MSNBC. It was on Fox News. And it was on the BBC. And we literally had, and, and the chief of police was, was uh, I think it was when it, they were being interviewed for the BBC. 
he was, as, as they were interviewing him, he's, they said, well, tell us about the police intelligence that brought it to this. And he said, you cannot study the police intelligence alone. He said, you've got to study that little vineyard church. He goes, they were a big part of the contribution of seeing this city transformed. And people in Chicago have been referring to Aurora as the transformation city because of what's just taken place. Now, guys, let me tell you something. We've had police chiefs that have flown in from Europe that have come to meet with our chief of police to study the police intelligence. Since then, they have, left, they have laid off a third of the police staff because they just have nothing to do. And God has just been doing this in, just incredible work. And, and if you watch the end of that time of leading them to Christ, I just give a prophetic word where I just said, what just happened in this room is going to completely transform this city and change this city. And it has for the glory of God. Now, let me tell you guys something. There is so much, you know, there's, there's, and there, the things, you know, the big stuff that happens, you know, we would call that a big story. We, we refer to it as a high bar story. And we're always careful when I do trainings, I try not to tell too many high bar stories because you don't want to set the bar so high that you go, oh, I could never do that. But let me tell you something. Changing the world starts across the street. Changing the world starts with your neighbor beside you. Changing the world starts with the guy in the cubicle beside you. It starts with the lady at the, at the bank. I remember one day driving uh, through the bank. Well, you didn't give me a stop time. I'm not looking your way again. No, 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 I'm not looking your way anymore. Um, 15. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so he, here's the thing. All of a sudden, we see, you, you begin to see things take place just in small. They always start off small. Always. And then they just grow because all of the things, they're just seed size. And then they grow into something else as you begin to just work with it, as you begin to just, you know, step into it. We're, we're always looking for the big thing, but it always starts with just a small little seed. You know, just a small little seed. And, and I, 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 I'm always so impressed. I, I, I remember Mary Lou when, when uh, Tim passed away and on, on his, the spray across his casket, her husband... The spray across her past, I remember her seeing one little uh, thing of wheat and her saying, I want that. And somebody pulled it out and gave it to her. And I knew exactly what she was doing. She was seeing that, his life as that, as that seed. Guys, it's always one little seed that'll just blossom into so much. And we think it's just, you know, we think it's the big stuff, but it always starts with the small stuff. It always starts just across the street. It always starts. I remember driving through the bank one time and you know, I, I had prayed for our, our bank, assistant bank manager, and he was an atheist, and he had problems with his shoulder, and he was just sitting there just, he was trying to help me out with online banking, which I'm inept, you know, to be able to do for some reason. You know, my nine-year-old autistic son can do online banking, but I can't, you know. And I'm sitting there with my computer, and he keeps rolling his shoulder, and I said, Bob, what's the matter with your shoulder? And he says, he goes, oh, I tore my rotator cuff 18 years ago. It's never been the same. And I said, dude, here's the deal. You let me pray for your shoulder, Jesus will heal your shoulder right now. And he goes, well, I'm an atheist. He goes, you know I'm an atheist. And I said, then I can guarantee you that he'll heal your shoulder right now. <laughs> he, here's the deal. The greater level of opposition, the more the reality of it will be there. I'm serious. We think the greater opposition, listen, going to witchcraft festivals, easy to do healing. You know, we think there's going to be all these demons hissing in the corners and all that. Listen, it's, it's low-hanging fruit. I'm not, I'm not kidding. 
You know, it is low-hanging fruit because it's just the greater level the opposition, the more opposition that's there, you know, that we naturally think it's, it's just this so, it's so much easier. It, it, guys, this is the upside-down kingdom. It just everything works in reverse. Everything's just in reverse. And so all of a sudden, I looked at Bob and I said, I can guarantee your shoulder will be healed because you're an atheist. I said, let me pray for your shoulder. So I do this thing where I say, if the pain you're feeling at now is a 10, zero is no pain. And I said, check your shoulder. And he moves his shoulder and he goes, okay, that's a 10 then? And I said, okay, yeah, what's your feeling is a 10. And so I prayed for him and I you know, commanded all the pain to go. And I said this, so Bob, so Bob will know how much Jesus loves him and cares about him and wants a relationship with him. Shoulder be healed in the name of Jesus. And I said, now Bob, check your shoulder. And he goes, Now, he, was, he couldn't lift it up above that before. And he's like checking it, and he looks at me, and he goes, two. I said, it's a two? And I said, that's amazing. And I said, can I pray again? He goes, one more time. <laughs> so I pray again, and I said, check your shoulder, Bob. He checks his shoulder, pray the same way, so that Bob will know that Jesus Christ loves him and is pursuing him, wants a relationship with him, shoulder be healed, so that he'll know. That's risk right there, right? We avoid that as if somehow we're going to offend God. Let me tell you something. I've learned God's never offended by my risk-taking. He's never offended by, by me being confident in who he is. He's never offended by that for some reason. You know, so, so don't, don't worry about offending him. <laughs> and so I prayed again, and I said, Bob, check your shoulder again. And he's looking, and he's like... And he looks at me, and he's got this you know, really furrowed brow, and I was like, what's, what's going on? Where are you at? And he goes, one. He goes, I'm not saying zero. <laughs> and I said, I said, I'm confused. Are you at a one or a zero? He said, I said one. I didn't say zero. And I said, are you at a one or at a zero? He said, I said one. And I was like, okay, okay, one. One it is. Can I pray again? He goes, no. And I said, but if it's not at a zero, it'll go to a zero. And he said, no. And he said, it's one. And he said, because I'm not saying zero. And I said, I'm really confused here. Which is it? He goes, let's just get back to the online banking. I was like, okay. So we went back to the banking, and so we start, he started you know, looking at stuff, and he just kept looking at me. And so a few weeks go by, and I come through the drive-thru, and Veronica's the girl normally in the drive-thru, but Bob's desk is right across the way. So I pull through, and I'm like, hey, Veronica, how are you? And I put my, you know, uh, put my deposit in the tube and send it up into who knows where. <laughs> And all of a sudden, Veronica pulls it out, and Bob's, like, looking through the window, and I kind of have a very recognizable truck, you know? And so Bob comes running over, and he goes, Hey, Robbie! He goes to the mic. He goes, Hey, Robbie! He said, Look! (laughs) And I said, Bob, give me a number. And he goes, Zero. (laughs) And I looked at him. I said, Hey, Bob, don't forget what I told you. He goes, I know. Jesus Christ loves me and is pursuing me and wants a relationship with me. I said, never forget it, Bob. I said, at any time we can pray that prayer. You could do that right now if you want to. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. And Veronica goes, oh, my gosh. She goes, did you heal Bob's shoulder? And I said, well, I prayed for Bob's shoulder, and Jesus healed his shoulder. I said, and she goes, she goes, oh, my back's killing me. For three years I was in a car accident. She goes, would you pray for my back? And I said, yeah. I said, let me, let me come park and I'll pull in. And she goes, no, 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 no. I'll just send you the tube. Pray in the tube and send it back over here. That's exactly what she said. And I said, no, 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 no. I'll come in and I'll, I'll pray for you. And so I came in and so I started praying for Veronica. 
And I said, Bob, come here. And so Bob's like, well, uh, you know, what are you going to do? My shoulder's fine. And I said, no, 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 I want you to pray for Veronica. And he goes, well, I'm still an atheist. I said, oh, come on, Bob. Put your hand on her back. So he puts his hand on her back, and I said, just repeat after me. Father, Father, I thank you for healing power. Thank you. So that Veronica will know how much you love her and care about her. Back be healed in Jesus' name. And so that I'll know that Jesus Christ loves me and still is pursuing me. And he's repeating all this. Back be healed. And so I said, now, Veronica, check out your back. And so she leans over, and she's moving, and she goes, oh, she goes, it's three. And Bob's like, really? Are you sure it's three? He says, is it not zero? And I was like, you know, I was like, no, Bob, I don't think she was doing what you're doing. Let's pray again. So he puts his hand back there again, and I said, just repeat after me, and he repeats after me. We did it two more times, and it goes down to a zero, you know, and she's, she's crying. And, and I looked at her, and I said, now, Bob, here's the deal. What Jesus just used you to do for Veronica, he's offering to use you to do that very same thing for the rest of your life. He's offering to use you that way for the rest of your life. And so, Veronica, what Jesus just did for your back, now he's offering to do for your entire life. I said, would you like to do that? Would you like that relationship with Jesus? And she said, yes. And we prayed there, and she accepted Christ right there. Bob's still thinking about it. But, you know, Veronica moved forward with it, but he could not deny it. And he said, he goes, he goes, this changes everything. He goes, I can't say I'm an atheist anymore. He says, but I'm still considering all that other. Guys, let me tell you something. We sort of think when we look at the Bible, because many of us grew up in church, that we sort of, that these guys knew what was going to happen next all the time. You know what I mean? How many of you grew up in Sunday school, catechism classes, children's church? You know, how many of you remember, how many of you remember flannel graph? You remember, you remember the blue board and the cartoon cutout characters that would stick to the board? Well, my, my parents always pastored poor urban churches, kind of like the church I pastor. And so we never had new flannel graph. We always had hand-me-down flannel graph. And so uh, I always thought Peter was an amputee because his leg was ripped off. Somebody tore off Peter's leg. Why they tore off his leg, I don't know. But... Anyway, but his leg was torn off, and I, 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 I never could figure that out. But anyway, um, so we've, because we've seen those stories, you know what the new flannel graph is? Veggie Tales. Veggie Tales has replaced flannel graph, you know? And so because we see, we've seen those stories, we always know what's going to happen next. I always try to read Scripture based on the fact that I don't know, is if I don't know what's going to happen next, is if I don't know the text, if I don't know what's taking place. And let me tell you something, it really changes things when you do that. Now, we always think that Jesus just sort of woke up and just laid out everybody's day for them. You know, this is what we're going to do. This is what our day is going to look like. It's going to be amazing. You know, we're going to heal all these people. We sort of think that that's how Jesus' day was with the disciples. But I don't think the disciples totally knew what was going to happen next. And I'm not even sure Jesus did. The Bible says in Philippians that he, that he basically left his superhero God powers in heaven. He made an arrangement with the Father. He left those in heaven. And he came just as a normal human being, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so if that's the case, then, then Jesus did not have any greater advantage than you or I have. He was operating with the same stuff that we have available to operate with us, to, to, for, to, that we can operate in. Now with that in mind, with knowing that they probably didn't know what was going to happen next, I want to read this text to you from Luke chapter 5. If you want to turn there, or you could just listen to my beautiful melodic voice, read it for you. <laughs> um, 
Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Now I'm going to read it from the text, and then I want to retell the story how I think it possibly could have happened. Now listen, how many of you women know that men skip details? Three women know that. And the rest of you are not married, and you do not know men. Men skip details. They just do. I was, uh, I was in June. I was at, on a three-week trip to Zimbabwe. My wife picks me up at the airport, asks me how, how the trip was. I gave her in 15 minutes what happened for three entire weeks. We skip details. It's sort of in our job descriptions, I think. Luke is a man, okay? So let's just pretend he skips some details, and let's also pretend... That, you know, that, that we can fill in the blanks you know, here and let me fill in the blanks for you. But let's read what the text says first. In verse chapter 1 it says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, let's go out to where it's deeper, let down your nets, and catch some fish. Now, by the text, how many fish had the, these fishermen caught the night before? Zero. They had no fish. Anybody ever know any professional fishermen? Fishermen without fish are grumpy, irritable, and not fun to be with. Okay? So, now, let's, let's, let, me, let me lay this story out how I think it possibly could have happened. Some of the gaps, you know, besides Luke is writing this like 75, 85 years later, so he's probably skipped some details on that. So here he is. Jesus is, is he has this massive crowd come to him, and all of a sudden he has to get distance from them because any speaker knows that you've got to get distance from your crowd if you don't have a sound system so you can project your voice. And so he can't get far enough away because they're encroaching on him. And so he gets into the boat, asks Peter to push out. So he gets a little bit of distance. And so while this is happening, Peter and them are over there drying their nets. Okay? Now, let's just imagine what that looked like. Here is Peter and this crew who have caught no fish are over there cleaning out their nets. I imagine it just looks something like this. I imagine Peter is over there. Come on, get that trash out of those nets. Get that seaweed out of there. Is that a Coke can? Pull that out. Get that bicycle tire out of there. Another tennis shoe. If you've got to be kidding me. People throw their garbage in this lake. We're trying to catch fish. No wonder we can't catch any fish with all this trash in the air. We've got to go home. I've got to talk to my wife. She's going to say, where's the money? Where's the fish? I'm going to say, we don't have any money. We don't have any fish. And my mother-in-law lives with us. She's going to say, I told you you should have married Barnabas. He's an accountant. He's got a paycheck. He's got some money. I hate this job. I hate this no, these boats. I hate these nets. Now, I know that Luke didn't say any of that. But work with me. Remember, men skip details, okay? About that time, Jesus walks up and he says, Hey, Peter, would you lend me your boat? I imagine Peter turns and looks at him and says, You know what? You can have the stupid boat. I hate that boat. I hate these nets. I'd sell that boat on eBay for five bucks if it was invented already. Or chop it up and sell it as firewood. Yes, please, take the boat. And Jesus is like, all right, all right. So he climbs in, pushes a little bit out. And then all of a sudden, 
He starts preaching. And about the time he starts to wrap up, right as they get the nets, perfectly clean. And they're hanging to dry, ready for them to go home so they can sleep because they've slept none the night before. All of a sudden, Jesus looks at him, says, Hey, Peter, I've got an idea. Let's go fishing. I imagine Peter looks at him and goes, You're not from around here, are you? You know, the sun is out. The fish go down when the sun comes out. If we go out there, we're not going to catch anything because all the fish are on the bottom. That's why they call them cold-blooded creatures. You see that yellow disc in the sky? That's called the sun. And when it's out, we are in the Middle East. It's hot. They go low. There are no fish out there to catch. You need to go build an armoire or something because you know nothing about fishing. (laughs) But then Peter says something profound. He says, but because you say so, we will. Because you say so, we will. Can you imagine Peter going back to his crew and saying, come on, guys, go with me out there. Come on, get the nets. Let's go back in the boat. They're like, Peter, you're crazy. No, we're not getting in the nets and getting in that boat. We're tired. We need to go sleep so we're ready for tomorrow night. Are you nuts? Have you lost your mind? And Peter's like, please, come on, guys. Just come with me. I told him we would. Come on. Maybe he'll give us a tip or something. They're like, no, Peter. And he's like, come on, come on. And finally, just to shut him up, they're like, all right, we'll go with you. But this is ridiculous. And they start climbing in the boats back with the nets. And then all Peter's fishermen buddies are watching and they're like, Peter, what are you doing? You're not going fishing, are you? Are you listening to the carpenter? He's crazy, man. Don't take your boats out there. Have you gone mad? And Peter's like, yes. Yes, I have. Are you going to take your boat out there, Peter? Yes, I am. Peter, you know there's no fish out there, right? Yes, I do. I swear I do. I'm a professional. I know what I'm talking about. Are you crazy? Don't go out there. No, I said because you say so. And he's rowing out and his head's down in shame. And they laugh at him from the shore. And then he gets out to the middle of the lake. And he's like, all right. You don't know what fishing looks like, obviously. So you want us to show you. You take your net and you drop it over the side. And you wait for fish that are not there. Because they're all at the bottom of the lake. But this is at least what it looks like. You better give me a tip. This is what it looks like. You wait for fish and wait and wait that never come. And then Jesus looks at him and he goes, Peter, (laughs) I know what's wrong. You see, you have your net on the wrong side of the boat. It's simple. If you just pull your nets up and walk over to the other side of the boat, (laughs) you catch fish. I imagine Peter looking at Jesus and going, Really? Really? Let me get this straight, Jesus. You think, Eight feet over, on the other side of the boat, right under the brim of the water, there's a school of fish down there going, (laughs) 
nets on the wrong side of the boat. <laughs> if they put their nets over here, they would catch us. They don't know. Shh. They'll never know. Trust me, Jesus. That's not happening. You need a hammer or something because you know nothing about fishing. But, because you say so, we will. Can you imagine him talking to the crew? They're like, no, Peter, this is embarrassing. All the other crews are watching back at shore. And he's like, pull the nets up. And they're going, Peter, what are you doing? You think there's fish on the other side of the boat? Peter's like, no, I don't. I swear to you, I don't. And then he drops the nets over. They're like, Peter, you're crazy. Are you listening to a carpenter on how to catch fish? Yes, I am. And you know the story. He drops his nets, and all of a sudden, he's like, We got fish. There's fish. He's like, pull the nets up. They pull it up. They drop the fish in the boat. He's like, drop it down again. They drop it down again. It fills up again. He's like, they were under there all night long, <laughs> laughing at us as we were on the wrong side of the boat. Drop it down again. The Bible says he fills the boat full of fish. And then it dawns on Peter, I've got another boat back at shore. And he's like, hey, get that boat out here. We got fish. Not that side, the other side. Put an X on it. That's the sweet spot side. And all the other fishermen at shore are going, Crazy Peter's right! Get the boats out there! They're all right. No, 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 the other side! What Jesus is telling them to do makes no sense. It's embarrassing. If they're wrong, it's humiliating, and it's foolish and stupid. But because you say so, we will. Both boats so full of fish that the Bible says they barely make it back to shore, almost sinking the entire way. What did Peter want? Fish. What did Jesus give him? Fish. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes he got back to shore that his skill and his ability made no difference whatsoever. It was the presence in the boat that made all the difference. The presence that was in the boat is what made all the difference. Peter, this hits Peter hard. He realizes, I'm a professional fisherman. I know my trade. I know my skill. And none of that worked. But at the presence on my boat, that changed everything. And Peter realizes, this must be a very holy person. And the Bible says he climbs out of the boat, he drops to his knees, and he says, Jesus, you're too good. I'm too bad to be this close to you. Jesus, the best thing you could do right now is just go away from me. You stay around me. You're not going to like me that much. I'll disappoint you. I disappoint everybody. Yeah, Jesus, the best thing for you to do is just, just, just go now. That's what's best for both of us. And Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, Oh, Peter, 
You've been going after the small cats your entire life. You've been going for minnows. I made you for the big catch. I made you to catch people, not fish. You see, Peter wanted what? Fish. You know what Jesus wanted? Because you say so, we will. Because you say so, even when it doesn't make sense. God doesn't owe it to me to make sense. He doesn't owe me an explanation for anything. But I owe him my entire abandoned obedience. That picture of what happened on those boats with that fish, with those fish, that was a prophetic picture that would be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and thousands came forward. Why? The presence that was on his life. Because the boat represented his life. And when Jesus said, would you lend me your boat? He's saying, you let me put my presence on your life. It changes everything. It changes everything. What, is, what does Peter do? Jesus looks at him. If you think about it, his pitch is not that strong. He looks at Peter and he goes, hey, Peter, follow me. That's it. It's not a real good sales pitch. But the Bible says that Peter, what did Peter want? Fish. He abandons the boats, the nets, the fish. Probably the very thing he'd been praying for all night long the night before. He walks away from. Why? For the presence. The presence. Jesus goes up to Matthew, probably with a table full of money, and says, Hey, Matthew, follow me. The Bible says that Matthew forsook his table, got up, and followed Jesus. Can you imagine these guys walking past their family members and then going, excuse me, where are you going? Following him. To do what? He didn't say. <laughs> For how long are you going to do this? He didn't say that either. And why are you doing it? Because everything inside of me screams out to be wherever he is. I don't care where it takes me. I don't care what I look like. I don't care who laughs at me. I don't care what people think of me. I belong wherever he is. My life is in hot pursuit of that.